It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 359 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Diabloversary. It is May 13, 2022, and this is Jen. And I'm going to start off with the thing that the Diablo Immortal account posted on Twitter. And it is the Diablo from the Diablo Immortal uh, game with the uh, mask from Jason Voorhees on the on the in the face of Diablo. It's got the mask like Diablo's wearing that mask, and it says "Happy Friday the 13th. And then the account uh, says "Tread carefully." And uh, if you click it, if you um, click on it, it's a little bit of an animated uh, GIF kind of thing in there. And I just thought that was silly beyond belief and totally right on with what most of us dig if we're playing Diablo games. We've probably seen these movies and stuff. So, um, you know, it's just kind of funny. (laughs) And today's the 13th, so it seemed like a good idea to go ahead and start with that one. In addition... I have news from not only Activision Blizzard, but other gaming companies as well. And I'm going to start with this Washington Post article, which was posted on May 9th. It's titled, Raven Software Prepares for Union Vote Following Months-Long Campaign. And I'll read you a little bit of that. Activision Blizzard is gearing up for a union election. A group of about 28 quality assurance testers at Raven Software, a subsidiary that makes Call of Duty titles in Madison, Wisconsin, have been mailing in ballots to vote in the election before a May 20 deadline. Quote, Finally being able to vote yes made all the hard work we've put in over these past five months worth it. The fact that Activision tried so hard to stop our union every step of the way makes it clear that a union is necessary at this company, said a Raven quality assurance tester who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation. I don't think throughout any of this I've really had time to process how I felt. I mailed my ballot and then got right back to work. I think it will probably all hit me like a ton of bricks when this is finally over. The National Labor Relations Board has mailed out ballots to quality assurance testers who were with the company during the pay period ending April 16. On May 23rd, the Milwaukee office of the NLRB will count all the ballots via video conference. While the number of Raven quality assurance testers has held steady at around 30 employees, the composition of the team has changed over the course of the five-month unionization effort. Twelve contractors were laid off last December. Since then, Activision hired nine testers who are now eligible to vote. This has led to some scrambling on the potential union's part to recruit the new hires, Raven workers told the Post. Management at Raven has been sending employees messages and holding meetings about the upcoming election, according to a current Raven Software to current Raven Software employees at an April 26 town hall leadership at Raven suggested that unionization might impede game development and affect promotions and benefits. They sent an email to employees the next day with a graphic attached that read please vote no. Now, 
as an aside, if you are trying to unionize and you and several other of the people that also want to unionize all feel that that is the best thing for them and their fellow workers and your employer is saying, please vote no, that's a key sign that you need a union because they are happy to keep screwing you over without one and they're trying to convince you that, oh no, we'll be really good this time and they never are. To continue with the Washington Post article, several Raven employees told the Post that they found management's anti-union messaging to be disappointing and ineffective as they still voted yes. Activision Blizzard has a statement, which I don't care about right now. And uh, let's see, there's a couple of representatives that have been... The unfolding situation has attracted lawmakers' attention. In February, Senator Tammy Baldwin, Democrat from Wisconsin, called on Activision CEO Bobby Kotek to stop any union-busting efforts. And on April 19th, Representative Mark Pocan, another Democrat from Wisconsin, met with Raven workers over a video call to discuss their unionization efforts and labor issues. Um, and, you know, kind of goes on from there. There's some background, which I think I've already told you about. So that's happening. They have voted. It looks like the ones that the Washington Post talked to for this article voted yes. And so hopefully soon I'll be able to announce maybe on the next show or a couple after that. Um, later in May, maybe they'll have their union and that would be fantastic. That would set precedent for, uh, you know, more Blizzard workers to keep pushing for a union, which they deserve to have. Code CWA has uh, quote tweeted an article, uh, a tweet from American Economic Liberties Project, and that tweet says Microsoft's acquisition of Activision will reshape the video game industry and not for the better. And there's a little video here with an Activision Blizzard worker explaining about the harms of consolidation in the industry. So Code CWA, which is the campaign to organize digital employees in tech, says, quote, if the uh, quoting this, uh, if the deal is bad for workers, it needs to be either blocked or made to include enforceable commitments. That's from the video. So if you want to know more about that, everything I I talk about will be in the show notes at shatteredsoulstone.com. Then we have GamesBeat that posted an article on May 10. This is called Activision Blizzard Asks Court to Dismiss DFEH Sexual Harassment Lawsuit. And I think I mentioned something about that last time around. Um, and the filing in Los Angeles Superior Court said that the DFEH failed to properly investigate claims prior to the filing of the lawsuit. The filling, filing also said that the DFEH failed to negotiate a resolution and failed to mediate with the company before it filed the lawsuit last year. And Activision Blizzard said that in the process, the DFEH unfairly damaged the reputation of the company and undermined the public trust. Mm, not exactly. I think it just brought things to light that people had been talking about and trying to fix for a very long time. And I think it brought that to light in a way that got a lot of people aware of what was going on at Activision Blizzard and how a lot of employees were being harmed. So Activision Blizzard saying, oh no, we're the victims here, eh, kind of sucks, honestly. It's it's not acceptable. It's not factual, for one thing. And this just goes on and on into this lawsuit. Um, which I'll leave you to read the rest of because I think I've covered that already. And then we're going to move into uh, another Washington Post article. And the couple of articles that I have coming up here are in regards to the Supreme Court leak about Roe v. Wade. I did not expect to find so many articles wondering what the gaming industry was thinking or saying about this, but here we are. So here's the Washington Post article from May 11th. 
Um, as Roe v. Wade repeal looms, video game industry stays mostly silent. And they have this graphic of a mouse with a cord. It's like a corded mouse. And um, I believe this must be a drawing because it looks like someone has formed it into the shape of fallopian tubes and a uterus. So that's interesting. It's from iStock. Um, I don't know who did that, but... I bet that's getting a lot of uh, use for uh, anyone talking about gaming and you know, with Roe v. Wade uh, articles. So here we are. In the wake of a leaked draft Supreme Court opinion, essentially confirmed that Roe v. Wade's days are numbered, most of the video games industry's biggest companies have remained conspicuously quiet, though not all. Shortly after Politico first reported on the leaked Supreme Court draft on May 2nd, Sony purchased Destiny 2 studio Bungie published a statement in support of reproductive rights, calling Roe v. Wade's demise a, quote, blow to freedom in America and, quote, a direct attack on human rights and prompting fans to donate to reproductive rights-focused organizations. Now, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned that in the previous show. That's a tough thing for a gaming company to do because they know they're going to get some pushback, but they're definitely, you know, Bungie seems to be very clear on what their opinion is of, and what, like, the company's opinion is. And so there we are. They did make that uh, statement in order to uh, let people know what they think as a company. Um, to continue, uh, in the following days, indie developers and a handful of other studios like Psychonauts 2 creator Double Fine and Guild Wars developer ArenaNet published brief statements of their own. A handful of workers also told The Post that they would participate in a week-long Mother's Day strike aimed at protesting the potential overturn of Roe v. Wade with permission from their companies to stop work this week. So that's pretty cool. I would like to see what the statements were from the other two. So let's see here. Let's go grab that real quick. It's a tweet. ArenaNet wrote, your body, your right, ArenaNet. Okay, so that's pretty cool. And then we have Double Fine wrote this in a tweet. We at Double Fine Productions stand steadfast in our support of essential health care rights for all. And then they have a picture with words on it. And it says, we at Double Fine Productions, and it's just what the first thing you know that the person tweeted there was. They continue, we firmly believe that a decision to overturn Roe v. Wade would deny people their human rights and directly impact the lives, freedoms, and choices of everyone in this country. For those who are able, we encourage donating to an organization that will stand up for these rights. So that's what that one is. Uh, going back to the Washington Post article. But the majority of gaming's heaviest hitters appear to have kept both their mouths and wallets closed. This silence is especially conspicuous following the industry's near unilateral support for causes like Black Lives Matter in the wake of George Floyd's murder and anti-Asian hate as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. In both of those cases, many big companies released statements, donated to charitable causes, updated internal policies, and added in-game features to allow players to express their support. The Washington Post contacted 20 major video game companies about whether they plan to make a statement regarding Roe's potential repeal or provide employees with monetary aid in places where abortions would no longer be available. Only Microsoft and Activision Blizzard responded with statements. So here's Microsoft's statement. Microsoft will continue to do everything we can under the law to protect our employees' rights and support employees with their enrolled dependents in accessing critical health care, which already includes services like abortion and gender-affirming care. Regardless of where they live across the United States, reads a statement issued to the Post. It continues, This support is being extended to include travel expense assistance for these and other medical services where access to care is limited and inavailability in an employee's home geographic region. So Microsoft is doing the right thing. 
The Washington Post continues, other tech behemoths like Amazon, Tesla, Lyft, and Uber have also promised monetary aid and in some cases legal protection to employees in states that will no longer offer abortions. The independent studio Certain Affinity, which has worked on major games like Halo Infinite, is based in Texas, a state that has already significantly restricted access to abortion. And still, Max Hoberman, the company's CEO, said the Roe v. Wade news took him by surprise. Quote, we will absolutely take a strong stance on this and we will consider how to best support our staff who may be affected but we haven't had a chance to get out in front of messaging or strategy yet it caught us a bit off guard hoberman told the post we are still an independent company with limited resources okay they're kind of mentioning that the bungee response that um was one the first one i saw going out from a gaming company it's talking about how um most companies might not want to do this because they're going to get pushback from angry people who uh want to silence the decision made by a company about its own people. Here's a a paragraph that's worth uh, reading. Activision Blizzard, a prominent game developer facing multiple lawsuits and investigations over its corporate culture, and CEO Bobby Kotek provided a brief statement on abortion rights last Tuesday evening. Quote, We are committed to an inclusive environment that is supportive of all our employees, said Rich George, a spokesperson for Activision Blizzard. Quote, As a company, providing fair and equitable health care is a top priority, and we will closely monitor developments in the coming weeks and months. uh, Blizzard president Mike Ybarra wrote, I realize we are late and I am sorry. It has been incredibly stressful for Blizzard and me personally as we read the news. He said that he had met with leadership to discuss how the company would address the situation on May 4th. Quote, I realize this isn't very helpful, but I'm being honest with where we are and what we are discussing across the company. Uh, Right now, uh, here's a quote from Emily Knife, K-N-E-I-F, a senior motion graphic designer at Blizzard who is trans, who wrote this, Right now, within Activision, there are many employees distracted and scared for the future. Mr. Kotek made a commitment to improve the working conditions of the many lives that work under him and make Activision the best company it can be. I can say without hesitation that as of right now, he's failing all of us. And then this goes on a little bit more. And then we have one from .la, and this one was written on May 12th. And it's titled Activision Silence. Activision's silence on Roe v. Wade adds to workplace discord. Employees at Activision Blizzard are growing increasingly frustrated with the game publisher's refusal to issue any guidance about how the potential repeal of federal abortion protections could impact workers in its offices across the nation. Several current Activision Blizzard employees told .la, the Santa Monica-based game publisher, has refused to communicate with staff about the issue. The employees have asked to remain anonymous for fear of losing their jobs. Then there's like a little history of uh, Activision's track record with, you know, lawsuits and all that stuff that I've talked about quite a bit already on this show. An Activision spokesperson shared the following statement. It's the same one that I just got from the Washington Post. He's got the one, uh, whoever wrote this has the Mike Ybarra uh, thing in there. Employees who received Ybarra's message said they felt it was an o- underwhelming response given that Activision operates offices in several states where abortion is already under attack at the state level, including Arkansas and Texas, where it has a sizable presence of support staff, designers, engineers, and producers. One worker said the response from Ybarra only came after employees began asking directly about the issue at work. And then there's a quote from Emily in there that I read from the Washington Post. A better ABK, I'll get to that in a minute, I have their tweet um, coming up. Then they're mentioning people by name, and I'm not comfortable mentioning people by name on this, so I'll leave you the article if you want to read it. So that's just kind of where we're at now with Activision Blizzard. 
Blizzard. Um, here's the double fine one I've already read. Okay, now we have Bloomberg. Bloomberg wrote this. Sony PlayStation staff fume over CEO's abortion comments. So if Activision Blizzard is deciding to pretty much say nothing, that's bad. But what's worse is the comments from the CEO of Sony PlayStation. So here we are. This was written on May 12th by Jason Shearer. I, uh, he, he has been saying a lot of things about, you know, relevant stuff lately and probably previous to this. And so I know his name, um, but uh, here's what he wrote. Some staff at Sony Group Corporation are seething following an email Thursday from the head of PlayStation that urged employees to, quote, respect differences of opinion, end quote, on abortion rights before entering into five detailed paragraphs about his two cats' first birthday. The email opens by addressing several current events, including the recent leak of a draft U.S. Supreme Court opinion that signaled an intention to overturn the landmark 1973 case Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion nationwide. Many corporations have felt pressure from employees to comment on the case, but most video game companies have remained silent on the matter. That was the 12th that could have changed by now. Um, there are a few notable exceptions. We're talking about Bungie again here. Uh, in the email seen by Bloomberg, PlayStation president Jim Ryan didn't take a stance on abortion rights, instead writing that the company and its community are, quote, multifaceted and diverse, holding many different points of view. He wrote that we owe it to each other and to PlayStation's millions of users to respect differences of opinion among everyone in our internal and external communities. Respect is not equal agreement, but it is fundamental to who we are as a company as a valued global brand. He then went on to write that he, quote, would like to share something lighthearted to help inspire everyone to be mindful of having balance that can help ease the stress of uncertain world events, saying it was recently his two cats' first birthday and elaborating over the next few paragraphs about his cats' birthday cakes, their noises, and his desire to one day get a dog. Internal discussions viewed by Bloomberg, which haven't been previously reported. Employees at several PlayStation studios expressed their displeasure at the tone of the email. Some women wrote that they felt their rights were disrespected or trivialized by the message. One employee said they'd never, quote, never been so mad about a cat birthday before. So that's the Bloomberg one. And this is the kind of thing, sometimes it's better to say nothing if you're going to be like this guy. Because there is, for, for a number of people... This is going to be looked at as just shut up. No one wants to hear from you. Moving on, I've got a thing about the uh, diversity space method, which sounds like something, you know, that NASA has cooked up or something. But no, it's not that at all. Um, and I just found out about this today. I don't know when it was posted originally, but it might have been today. So this is an actual post from ActivisionBlizzard.com. And it's got uh, the diversity space method. There's like a not an octagon it's a it's not a pentagon it's some kind of you know octagonal shape i guess and it's got these little markers on every little corner so the markers are culture ethnicity age ability body type gender identity sexual orientation and in the middle are three overlapping colored lines which have numbers by them and so the first one is pink it's a bright barbie pink and it's overlapping gender identity, identity, body type, and culture, okay? And they're pointing this to the, uh, I don't know the names of these Overwatch characters, but the very large woman with the pink hair, 
That's the one that they've identified. They've got the number one sitting on that character. And then we have ethnicity, which is a green line that is overlapping culture, ethnicity, a little bit in the age category, and some body type and gender identity things. And this is the character uh, that's tagged with the green number two, because that's the number two in the little space diversity method thing is uh, i don't know the name of this character either but he's got like he's a dark-skinned character who has very like almost cyberpunk looking dreads and he's uh you know got his arms crossed looking at uh the viewer i guess so they've they've used this character as a example of what they're trying to do with that grouping of traits, I guess. And then ability. Um, so, well, the third one is on, uh, I, I think this one is called Torbjorn, I think, is a dwarf. And um, so he's got a yellow line, and that's going from a little bit into age, into the center. All of these go into the center at some point. Body type and ability. So I'm thinking age, well, he's an older character. Uh, okay, sure. Body type, um, he's kind of big, but... He's not tall. I guess maybe that's it. And ability, he does have uh, like an eye patch. So maybe that's it. But none of this makes a hell of a lot of sense to me right now. So I'm going to get into what they wrote and see if this makes any sense to you. And I have seen different comments about it. I'll get to those if I actually put them in the notes. We'll see. Okay, King's Diversity Space Tool, a leap forward for inclusion in gaming. With this innovative new system, the character design process now has a tangible way of avoiding tokenism, stereotypes, and exclusion. Written by someone named Eric Alt, which... That's the name for this, man. <laughs> I think it's probably this person's real last name, but okay. You're talking about different characters in games and your last name is Alt. That's kind of funny in its own way, you know? <laughs> kind of ironic there. All right. Uh, he wrote, We want to see ourselves represented in games. We want the barriers to access lowered. We want games to be a welcoming environment for all. Just look at the 2019 International Game Developers Association, the IGDA Developer Satisfaction Survey, which asked developers what they considered to be the most important factor in the growth of the gaming industry. The most common response? More diversity in content. It's not even a question anymore, says Eric Alt. However, the question question that does remain is this, how do we convert this feedback from collective desire into tangible reality? As expected, the people at King, because it is Activision Blizzard King, I almost never say King when I'm talking about Activision Blizzard, but they own King too, so here we are. Uh, the people at King are already thinking a few moves ahead. In 2016... King began developing a method for guarding against unconscious bias and exclusion when it came to the creation of their games and characters. At the time, this idea existed as an intangible philosophy, but the potential was obvious. And there's like a little screenshot here, and it looks like the character Anna is being um, put through the little descriptions in that big old octagonal looking thing. It looks a little different than what we see at the top of this, but whatever. Uh, enter the MIT Game Lab. Alongside King, the MIT techs helped turn a mission statement into tangible software that would create and monitor guidelines for character conception and creation. Looking into all the ways basic elements such as gender, body type, roles, roles is quote heroes versus quote villains, uh, and even such granular factors such as pose or body movement can suggest powerful things about a character one way or another. According to King Globalization Project Manager Jacqueline Chomatas, once MIT handed over the basic software, the team at King spent the last few years honing and developing it, mostly as a 
as a volunteer effort. People were spending their off hours working on the tool simply because they believed in its potential so much. Here's a quote. An important principle for us at King is that all players should feel welcome, says Chomatas. The intention is to inspire game teams not just at King, but throughout the Activision Blizzard King network to think outside of the box and challenge preconceived notions about how characters should look and act. As a result, hopefully we will create more characters that break the mold and better represent women, non-binaries, and other underrepresented minorities in the industry. I don't think I've ever heard non-binary pluralized before, which is amusing to me as a non-binary person, honestly. But here's the thing with that. Blizzard recently, and well, I don't know how recent, but there was a survey that they did a while back uh, asking their employees to identify themselves by gender and by race and, um, you know, all of this stuff. And apparently when they handed out the survey, they did have options for non-binary. And when they released the survey, they erased all of us non-binary people from it. And it was just bizarre. So is a company like Activision King, you know, Activision Blizzard King, going to have the right people that won't just erase non-binary people. And this is like what's happening in the real world too. There's a lot of conferences for podcasting or gaming or anything you could have a conference for that is based on this is a women's conference that will throw in, oh, and non-binary people. And then by the time you get to the website of whatever that conference is, you see no mention of non-binary people. So I have some concern that maybe this isn't actually going to be the thing that makes non-binary characters, you know, but that's just me speaking from my point of view as a non-binary person. And then there's all this information in here about how this thing works and you know that kind of stuff they've got a picture here from uh the characters the diverse cast of characters in call of duty vanguard uh the only thing i know about vanguard is one of the people from critical role voiced somebody in it i think it was laura bailey but this is kind of weird and people definitely have opinions about it including a better abk the abk workers alliance which tweeted this Uh, While we only recently learned of this tool and continue to seek out more information regarding it, we believe the heart of diversity is with people and the variety of experiences that make us great rather than specific attributes of our individuality. And they linked to um, a Fanbyte article, which has the same picture that I tried to read out to you with colors and numbers and this octagonal thing and, and whatever. And uh, Fanbyte wrote this, Activision inexplicably introduces tool to rate character diversity metrics. The tool is meant to aid designing diverse characters, but comes off as mildly dystopian, written by Imran Khan. Uh, Imran writes, I don't know if you've heard, but corporate oligarch, that's fair, Activision Blizzard King has an image problem when it comes to marginalized groups, whether it's about the decidedly cartoon villain-like actions of CEO Bobby Kotek, okay, fair, the labor lawsuit from California that seems to even involve the governor acting improperly, yeah, that happened too, on the company's behalf, or just more wild shit about Bobby Kotek, All of these things have links. ABK doesn't have a lot of reputation left to salvage. So when the company desperately needs to make fundamental changes in how they will hire and treat employees and public-facing characters, I'd argue the solution is not in making and publicizing a tool that boils diversity design down to predefined metrics. 
And yet, that is, that's kind of what King is doing, according to a blog post published yesterday. I already read you that one. Uh, the metrics listed, I already read you that too. Oh, no, there's more, apparently. The metrics listed are culture, race, age, cognitive ability, physical ability, body type, facial features slash beauty, gender identity, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic background. Using Overwatch character Anna as the example, she has points in culture, race, age, physical ability and gender identity. Essentially, the tool seems to start with the idea that a cis heterosexual white male character is the default and that factors away from that are essentially diversity points, which is a mildly problematic assumption to codify, even if it trends to work out that way in practice. Ideally, decades of bad results should not create a default as much as they should be something to recognize as unnecessarily ubiquitous. It's uncomfortable a little bit, says Imran, uh, chiefly because this seems like a bad idea as a failure of simpler, purer solution of simply hiring and listening to diverse designers. Getting them on a team is one thing. Taking their feedback or letting them lead designs and teams is a different scenario, one that this tool only helps in the weirdest and most dystopian ways. Again, we're focusing on quantifiable results rather than thinking about why those results are happening and goes on from there. Um, I'm going to read this one part here. You can't make, quote, objectively, end quote, diverse games. You can only make games that come from diverse minds and cultures and experiences and let their design work do the talking, which I think has some good points in it. Unrelated, there's a Twitter account called HitMarkerJobs. And I ran across this at some point since the last show. And they started a tweet with this. Did you know that the orange ghost is called Clyde? How adorable. Anyway, and they have a picture here with like the very pixelated ghosts, you know, and they're looking for a social media and community manager for Bandai Namco in Santa Clara, California, full time. And here's a little bit more about that. There is a, on the Hitmarker website, mention of this job opening. So it's a social media and, co and community manager for Pac-Man at Bandai Namco. I'll read you a tiny bit about it. Um, they are seeking a social media community manager for the Pac-Man brand. This position is responsible for the planning, implementation, management, and monitoring of Pac-Man's social media strategy, which I never would have believed I would have heard back in the day when I was, you know, plugging quarters into the Pac-Man game at the arcade. Pac-Man social media strategy. Uh, in order to increase brand awareness, improve branding efforts, and support the Pac-Man global business. And it kind of uh, goes on to say you're going to be using Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and others. And uh, it's a day-to-day -day strategy planning and tactics for the Pac-Man social channels, um, how they align with the global teams and all of this other stuff. And if you want to know more, um, it is remote and work from home options that are available for this position until approximately April of 2022. We're in May, so I guess they're not doing that anymore. Uh, afterwards, we expect all employees to join us at our new offices in Irvine, California, where a hybrid work schedule will be observed. Don't know what hybrid means in this case, but there's stuff here about what they want to see if that's something you're into. And I'm going to move into World of Warcraft for just a little bit here because I've been seeing this have so much pushback in ways that just make me wonder what's wrong with people. So Wowhead has an article uh, posted 16 days ago by, uh, I can't pronounce the name, uh, Archimnos? I'm sorry, I'm massacring the name. But anyway, maybe you'll know who I mean. This is titled Patch 9.2.5 Social Contract Data Mind Accept Terms of Behavior or Exit Game. Okay, so... Here we have what this is, and you may have seen it floating around on social media. So Wowhead here wrote 
Uh, the latest patch 9.2.5 build includes an interesting addition, data mined within the global string. So this is before it launched. Data mining means you found it, but it ain't, it ain't live yet. Indicating that players will be prompted to accept a social contract before playing the game. Not unlike a terms of service agreement, it appears to specify what types of behavior are not tolerated within the game, requiring them to either accept the terms or exit the game. The text begins with a greeting, welcoming the player to World of Warcraft, and remind them that the game is made up of real people playing the game who may come from different backgrounds and cultures before going on to list behavior which will not be tolerated within the game. These terms include untolerated behavior, including harassment, threats, abuse and derogatory language, spamming, advertising, and other disruptive behaviors, as well as hate speech or negative comments regarding other players' identity, including their race, gender, or abilities. So this is what they say it says, and I've read this, and it seems to be about the same as what they, what they uh, data mined. I'll just read you it, because I don't know that a lot of Diablo players are playing World of Warcraft. You might be, if you have, you've already seen this, but the rest of us probably haven't, because we were playing Diablo stuff. Um, it says this, Hail Traveler and welcome to the World of Warcraft. Azeroth is a living world full of people like you, other players with different backgrounds, cultures, experience, and histories who have all come together to play World of Warcraft. Every player deserves to have a world that they feel safe in. So please take a minute to read our social contract. While in Azeroth, do your best too. These are the things they want to encourage players to do. Connect with other players and make friends. Being courteous in group content can help you and your teammates have the best time possible. Sending a friendly hello message can help set your group up for success. Play as a team with your fellow players, whether in dungeons, raids, battlegrounds, arenas, or out questing in the world. Do your best to support your team through your communication and behavior so that you can all celebrate your success together. Assist other players that you encounter in the world. Maybe they need some help defeating a tough monster, or maybe they could use a little healing. Help answer questions others have in chat channels like General or Trade. We were all newbies once. One person offering some help can go a long way. And this is like, this makes me think back into the day where where everyone's asking, where's Mankirk's wife? And if you haven't played WoW, you probably don't get that at all. But I've seen that a lot, you know? And someone could literally say, here, I'll show you. It's over here or whatever. It goes on. We recognize that the internet is not always a safe haven. With that in mind, please note that the following behaviors are not accepted in Azeroth. Hate speech, including negative comments that target another player's identity, including aspects like race, gender, or ability. Harassment, threats, or abusive slash derogatory language and behaviors. Spamming, advertising, or other disruptive behaviors. If you harm your fellow adventurers with any of the above behaviors, you are subject to punishment up to and including suspension of your account. They end it with... It's a big world out there with all sorts of people in it, so please try to be respectful of each other, and if you ever feel like somebody is acting against this code, please report those behaviors so that our team can look into it. Together, you can help us make the World of Warcraft a safe home away from home for everyone. So I think that's reasonable, because, like, when I, I stopped playing WoW some time ago, um, I'll probably get back to it eventually, but, because uh, I want to play Classic again, honestly, but, um, <laughs> really, that's what I want to do. But I feel like... This is something that needed to be said because there are people that are going to go in and think it's okay to be a jerk and they're you know and but the thing is there's two buttons for you you can either hit accept and play the game or you can exit game and not play because you are not going to accept these rules and i think that's going to weed out some people that are coming in just to be nasty and mean you know that kind of stuff but going on from that i mean i've seen a lot and i'm not going to name any names i just read a bunch of stuff and was severely disappointed with the world once again and uh there's a lot of people who feel like um this is 
uh, dystopian. This is Big Brother telling you what thou shalt and shall not do. Uh, people that are angry because they really like to harass people and some of it is they just don't like certain people there was a thread by a person who responded to a lot of people in the whatever thread i'd found at the time was arguing that they never help people in world of warcraft and they they don't want to they uh they don't want to help people at all they feel like if they're a healer and they had to use material materials to, to heal someone, well, that costs money and now they want gold from that player. And I'm just going, really? Really? I mean, come on, you know? So hopefully, hopefully, uh, the people that intend to be mean uh, decided not to play WoW. Or, you know, there's a phrase, fuck around and find out. That might be their eventual path. There's a really neat thread on Twitter, and I know a while ago I mentioned that James Hong was going to get his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And for those of you that don't know, uh, for Diablo players, he's the voice of Covetous Shen, the jeweler th that you you know interact with in, the, in Diablo 3. And he's done tons of other characters and voices, but I'm just going to stick with that one for now. And so he actually did get, on the 10th, he got his um, Walk of Fame star which is fantastic. And um, there's a number of people that came up and said nice things about him. I think some of these people might have been in movies with him. I'm not sure. And there's this lovely picture of James Hong at 93 years young, uh, posted by Nancy Wang Yuan, who is a sociologist. I guess she was, she was either there or she got these pictures from somewhere. I don't know. But in any case, he's wearing a red uh, Chinese-style jacket, a black hat with a, a little, like, tan thing around it black pants and shoes and he is laying down on the ground supporting his head with his hand and just smiling so big and he's laying down next to the james hong star that has like some plant life like little flowers and leaves around it and he just looks so happy and i'm really glad he got it because i can't imagine him not getting one i mean this guy's the voice of so many characters that you've grown up with and heard the voice of and does such variety so and he's been in movies as well you know just like physically him in the movie not just his voice and i'm just i'm just so proud of him for getting that you know and i know there's a process there's a process i talked about you do have to pay money for this you have to pay the people that make the star a certain amount of money and all this but he got it and it's just, it's just such a nice thing to hear when a lot of the world, at least in the United States specifically, because I can't really speak for the rest of the world, but um, a lot of things are really bad here right now. And, you know, here's something we can kind of celebrate and be happy about. There is a press release from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I'll read you a little bit. And it's mentioning when the ceremony was going to take place, which is already done. Um, it's got, uh, that's basically what it is, you know. <laughs> but I can read a little bit about James Hong from this. Um, in 1953, Hong left Minnesota, where he was born, and studied engineering to drive cross-country on Route 66. He began his career during an era in Hollywood where white actors would routinely play Asian characters, realizing that Hollywood wouldn't be able to provide the roles Asian Americans deserved, Hong set out to carve his own space. Along with actor Mako Iwamatsu, Hong helped organize an Asian American acting group in Los Angeles, which became the legendary East West Players. 
East-West Players has nurtured great talent over its 57 years. At one point, approximately 70% of Asian-American actors in Hollywood had a connection to East-West Players. Hong is one of the most prolific actors in Hollywood history, having amassed a total of 700 credits, which include 469 TV shows, 149 feature films, 32 short films, and 22 video games. From iconic films like Blade Runner and Chinatown to animated features like Kung Fu Panda, Mulan, and classic television shows like Seinfeld. His latest credits are Everything Everywhere at Once, Turning Red, which is about a girl that turns into a red panda. That's all I really know about it. Um, and soon-to-be-released Gremlins, Wendell and Wilde, and his own feature, Patsy Lee and the Five Kingdoms. Hong is the oldest honoree to receive a star on the Walk of Fame and the only living actor to have worked with Clark Gable and Groucho Marx. That's amazing, isn't it? I just, I just love him. I met him twice, and I think I've talked about that before, and he's just, just really cool, and he's got a wonderful sense of humor, and I'm so glad he got a star. I mean, it's like he's still a wonderful person without the star, but it's just nice to see it, you know? Got a bit of a thread here. Somebody uh, posted, uh, someone named Zoid posted the Diablo tweet on May 12th, 12th, where Diablo wrote 10 years of Diablo 3 and some other stuff. And there's the whole, like the last couple of seasons, they've been showing us pieces of what's a whole image, a whole painting or whatever. And so it's the whole painting right there and it's a little bit animated. And Zoid says, a gaming publication needs to do a retrospective on Diablo 3. After it came out, was fascinating. The failure of the auction house, the change to all soulbound loot in the ex expansion, the addition of adventure mode, etc. D3 taught so much about action RPG design. And this is from Zoid, who describes himself as, I used to make video games. So he, he kind of knows, right? And Wyatt Chang uh, at Candlesan, who's the game director of Diablo Immortal at Blizzard Entertainment and was the, the patch lead at Diablo 3, wrote this. To honor 10 years, I'm setting aside time this Sunday morning to answer questions people have about D3, focusing on the development, launch, and the game prior to Reaper of Souls. What do you want to know? So here's some people that have questions. And I'm not going to read any names because I'm not going to, you know, send people out to bother them <laughs> unintentionally. You know what I mean? So someone wants to know, were there any classes that were planned that didn't make the cut? Someone wants to know, what's the most critical thing you've learned pre-Reaper of Souls that influenced all the further design going forward? Someone else wants to know if you could go back in time to any point during D3 development and change one thing without humanity ever knowing you did, what would it be and why? Someone else asks, I, I'd love to know how you looked at D3, broke down the key issues, and turned it completely around for Reaper of Souls. There's some more. Uh, why did the team decide on Witch Doctor as a replacement for Necromancer? Was there a desire to be more multicultural that played into it? I noticed the character designs were much more varied in Diablo 3 compared to Diablo 2. Someone wants to know, I always wondered why the loot drops were mostly bad. Oh, not going to continue. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, someone asks, so, Sco so was Scovos close to being a spot we visited in D3? I know there was a concept art pre-release and then the Tyrael-Loreth conversation in Reaper of Souls. Uh, someone says, what inspired the Witch Doctor class and were there any others in development that, you know, might make it into Immortal? This, this is someone that would like the Witch Doctor to be in Diablo Immortal. Um, and it goes on from here and you'll probably see more about that, but I think it's cool that he'll probably answer those um, at some point. Maybe he has and I just haven't seen it. But the reason I named the show Diabloversity is, um, yeah, 
Diabloversary, I keep getting that wrong, Diabloversary is because uh, on the 12th, yesterday from the time I'm recording this, Blizzard put out a big thing called Diablo 3 Celebrates 10 Years, and there's an image of that whole painting with all of the classes from Diablo 3 in it. I'll read you a little bit. Exactly 10 years ago today, brave Nephilim arrived in the town of New Tristram to investigate a falling star. This discovery would give way to a divine ally and a quest to stop a sinister plot to destroy Sanctuary and the High Heavens. Even after the final blow was struck and Diablo defeated, these same valiant Nephilim continued to protect those in need. We and Sanctuary thank you for your decade worth of valor, dedication, and your vanquishing of endless nightmarish threats to have been birthed by the Burning Hells. Remember, this 10-year milestone for Diablo 3 was made possible by you, Nephilim, many of whom have spent countless hours demon-slaying, looting, and creating memorable moments to look back on. To show you our undying appreciation for the support of more than 65 million Nephilim worldwide over the past 10 years, we have an exciting announcement for the Echoing Nightmare, and we'll be providing a mid-season buff. But first, we want to thank you once more for celebrating the 10th anniversary of Diablo 3 with us. So the echoing nightmare buff, here's what it says. Since season 26 began, many Nephilim have sought to avenge their fallen allies in the echoing nightmare. We have received positive feedback around the echoing nightmare and are truly glad to see you've enjoyed battling the horrors of Nephilim's past while gaining experience and powerful loot along the way. Therefore, the Echoing Nightmare will become a permanent feature in Diablo 3. Creating challenging, new, and exciting endgame experiences is always top of mind for us, so we're excited to be keeping this experience around for good. This experience will be available for year-round play. If you have not had the opportunity to try the Echoing Nightmare out yet, get a taste of what it entails from our Season 26 blog. Then they have a mid-season double bounties event going on. That probably started yesterday. Uh, the reward for hunting down some of Sanctuary's most wanted just got a little sweeter. All bounties will be doubled from now until Season 26 ends. Here is a breakdown of how you'll have the chance to score more legendary loot, such as the coveted Ring of Royal Grandeur. After completing all five bounties in an act, you will be rewarded with twice the Herodric caches you would normally receive, as dictated by the difficulty level you're playing on. Reward drop rates will remain unchanged during this event, but more caches mean more opportunities to obtain that essential piece of gear that will bolster your Nephilim's build. For a refresher on bounty exclusive legendary items, there's a game guide thing. There are also many hardy foes peppered throughout Sanctuary for you to collect the bounty on, venture forth, and dare to lay claim to the spoils. And then we have uh, that's pretty much it, actually. That's pretty much it. And it's just, I've been really busy with work. I haven't had a lot of time to play Diablo. Um, I do have like four videos I can put up on YouTube that haven't gone there yet because I've just been too busy with work and I've had a lot of allergy issues and stuff like that. But I'm trying. Thinking back to, you know, Diablo 3. I wrote this on the Shattered Soulstone account when a lot of other people were talking about their memories from when Diablo 3 launched and all of that. And so I wrote this. Excitement about the release of D3 was what started the Shattered Soulstone podcast. My first D3 character was a demon hunter whom I named 37. My husband's was D3, first D3 character was a barbarian named Smashes. We had a lot of fun running around Sanctuary together. And, you know, I just want to say, like, I'm one of the original hosts of Shattered Soulstone. There were three and then four, and then I'm it now. That's all. We've had different hosts cycling in and out throughout. Um, but 
We actually started episode zero of Shattered Soulstone before we had any idea when Diablo 3 would be released. So that's why the music you hear is from Diablo 2, because we didn't have any idea what the Diablo 3 music would be. So we've been using it ever since, as far as I know. And I just, I remember like all of us talking about, you know, D2 stuff, which I hadn't really played. I've said this before. I played I played Diablo 1, I beat it with all three classes, I played until the sun came up so many times, you know, um, and that was the one, that was the first Diablo game, and, you know, everybody screamed when the butcher came out that door, you know, that kind of thing. But at the time, it was three of us to start with, it was me and Nevik and Brasia, and we were, you know, talking about D2, and talking about, you know, whatever little things had leaked out about what Diablo 3 might be like. I remember there was things you could do that would have you create a banner for a certain class and I don't remember what happened with those. I have a couple of mine somewhere in my computer. Um, just all of this little tiny pieces of hype were coming together about it and so with the first episode, you know, episode zero you do an episode zero in podcasting to make sure everybody clicks and we did immediately so that became like the first episode and I remember when it was getting close to the beta not the alpha. I think there was like a friends and family alpha or something. There's a beta eventually. And um, maybe there's an alpha and a beta. It's been a long time. It's been 10 years. I don't remember exactly. And all of us were checking our emails constantly to see if we got a key to get in. And I remember um, that I think I, can't, I wasn't the first one of us to get in, but I think I'm pretty sure it wasn't, it wasn't me that was first. I don't remember who it was, but I remember right before show, we had the show notes sitting in front of us and we were getting ready to record. And we were talking about, Oh, I wonder, you know, we're talking about the keys. And I looked in my email and I did this like really like, you know, like I just, just like did this like <gasps> kind of thing. And everybody was wondering what the heck was wrong with me. And I said, I got a key. I got a key. And I was super excited. And everybody was like, oh, wow. And, and as soon as we stopped like giggling about my reaction, I don't remember who said it, but someone else said, now, if only you could have opened that while we were recording, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's where we were. We were very like, you know, focusing on the show and stuff like that. And it was a lot of fun. Later on, my husband started playing Diablo 3 with me. And Sean, do you want to share any memories of running through early Diablo 3? The first thing that always uh, comes to my mind is the issues with Air 37. Right. That's how my demon hunter got her name. <laughs> we actually have a recording of us trying to get in. Yeah, we do have that yeah, somewhere. Yeah, we do. We should put that out somewhere. The thing I remember is I think we stayed up until like it was well past midnight, mm -hmm. like two 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 thirty in the morning, right, I think, right. before we were finally able to actually log into the game. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was cool. It was fun. It was uh, interesting to play through the game and see what the story was like. You know, I didn't have any past. Diablo experience really before I played Diablo 3 so uh, it was I guess all new to me you know it was fun and I as you mentioned I played a barbarian so smashed a lot of stuff I guess that's about it sorry it's boring no it's no it's not boring at all um the other memory that I have of this is we were playing together and, you know, we live in California and we were playing together. We were running through, I don't remember which act we were running through, but we were just, you know, running around killing stuff. And I kind of felt like I was shaking, but I knew I wasn't shaking. I'm like, what the heck is this? And then I noticed that my chair was moving, but it didn't have wheels. And I looked up at Sean and we both immediately figured out that we were experiencing an earthquake. 
And it wasn't a big one, but it was enough where you could feel it and like things were being jostled around a little bit. And like I said, the chair I was sitting on didn't have wheels, but it was definitely moving, right? So we kind of looked at each other and went earthquake and we immediately like moved our characters somewhere safe where they wouldn't get killed and then decided to, you know, get out of the way of windows and stuff like that. <laughs> and we were playing, you know, that, that's how much, you know, we were playing the game together and like interested in the game at the time, you know, it's like earthquake, let's save our characters before we save ourselves, you know, <laughs> it just seems so intrinsic at the time. And like, of course you're going to do that, but it could have been bad. It wasn't a bad earthquake though. So I remember that. I don't think too many people have an earthquake story about playing Diablo three, but here we are. Um, and you know, since then I've played every class with, you know, different amounts of ability. I've played barbarians a lot, I'm currently playing a monk, and I've just, I'm 10 years of Diablo, it just seems like it went by so fast. It really does, like all the way from the beginning where the loot was really hard to get, to um, the auction house, which was controversial in a number of ways. Some people loved it, some people hated it. Uh, it got taken off of the game after um, the group that was working on Reaper Souls came in, and the loot got better in terms of how much stuff dropped. And, you know, there was, like, they're still building pieces into this 10-year-old game, you know? We were talking about the, um, just the, you know, the thing I just mentioned about the uh, echoing nightmare thing that's going to be in the regular game. So people who don't want to do seasons are still going to be able to do that thing. I haven't done that thing yet, but I'll get there. That's really cool. And, like, there's different locations in the game that have been added since, you know, Diablo 3. And just all this stuff, there's there's still being built and iterated and changed. And I don't know if that's common in gaming companies for a 10 year old game, but that's what we're getting from Diablo three. And so it's like, it's probably my favorite game. You know, I mean, I love all the Diablo games, but um, this one, I just have so many memories of, I mean, you know, you play with your spouse in the game and it's just, it makes it that much more, you know? So I just wanted to share that because I figured everybody else was sharing their thing. And I've got one more thing for you today. This is from the Diablo Immortal account or website, I guess, you know, and it's called Zone Preview Realm of Damnation. This was posted on May 9th. Okay, so Diablo Immortal's launch storyline sends you racing after the cataclysmic shards of the World Stone, the artifact used to create sanctuary. After you've explored frozen wastes and festering swamps and cemeteries choked with the risen dead, your quest will take you somewhere people who played the closed beta haven't seen yet. The Realm of Damnation is the personal hell of a demon lord. It's a corner of the burning hells where Skarn, the mastermind pursuing the world stone shards, gets to play judge, jury, and executioner repeatedly. This was written by Ryan Quinn, and he wrote, I'm Ryan Quinn, narrative designer on Diablo Immortal, and I'll be your guide to Skarn's plane of agony and rebirth, along with Hunter Schultz, art director. At the end of the Frozen Tundra story quest, you'll follow Skarn into his lair and uncover what he's been planning for humanity and the World Stone. But you won't immediately come face to face with the Lord of Damnation or all of his forces. So there's the Forest of Misery. There's a description here. It's a lot of creepy trees from this image. It's kind of green. I don't know if these trees walked over to this big one in the middle or what, but you know, this is how it's described. There is an impulse to limit hellish landscapes to one note. 
and there shouldn't be a question whether you are in hell or not, but Diablo Immortal's zone maps are large, and we really like having visual variation to keep your journey interesting and make it easier to remember locations and cool moments. First, you'll need to fight through the twisted canopies of the Forest of, Min of Misery. In the darkness swarm rasplets and gnarled pawns, demons who've failed Skarn and had their bodies fused with parts of the realm as punishment. And here it looks like something that's in complete agony, kind of turning into a tree. Uh, the old growth voiced by James Good is the most massive, venerable danger in the wood. There's a little 30-second audio clip for you to play if you go to this. And again, everything will be in the show notes. Uh, we've tried to reflect environmental shapes and colors in the realm of Damnation's creature design, taking a breather from the classic reddish demon you see everywhere else in the fires of hell. So there's some drawings that are really cool. There's the last vestige. Years ago, a group of angel sentinels discovered the realm of Damnation while it was taking shape from hellish chaos. Cut off from the heavens and trapped, they've carved out a foothold in Skarn's home. As you leave the forest of misery behind, you'll join the survivors in their besieged encampment, the last vestige. The Angel's war leader, Verathiel, is utterly relentless. Her band has been hunting demonic threats outside the battlefields of eternity for eons. But being stranded in the realm of damnation is a greater challenge than any they've faced. As the wielder of the angelic dagger, Yilnira, you will have a chance to gather some, gather some allies in hell if you can save them from a truly awful fate. And then we have Skarn, Lord of Damnation, and there is an amazing painting by Brahm of Skarn. For those of you who have no idea who Brahm is, he makes a lot of really creepy... Uh, character designs, a lot of the stuff you've seen, if you go into the Diablo website and look at the artwork there, a lot of it's made by Braun. It's just Abram, amazing. And his son, I saw a video a while back, uh, his son, who's an adult, started kind of following in his father's footsteps, so to speak, with slightly different looking, you know, horrible monsters and stuff. So I love that this painting by Braun is there and maybe has influenced it. Uh, the, the look of Skarn, I'm not sure, but man, Brahm's good. Look up his stuff. Okay, so it says, At the end of Diablo II, Lord of Destruction, the Archangel Tyriel realized that the Worldstone had been corrupted, and he shattered it before it could doom all of Sanctuary. The resulting disaster discorporated Tyriel, discorporated, <laughs> and ruined Ariat and much of the North. Skarn wants nothing more than to pick up the pieces, yet little has been recorded of him. At the defeat of the prime evils in Diablo II, war was raging within the Hells, with no clear victor, despite great evils like Asmodon and Belial, claiming massive realms of their own. Skarn flourished during this age, but demonologists cannot say whether he led an army or simply used the conflict as an opportunity to capture parts of the Hells for himself. Most do not even know him by name. What is clear about Skarn is his abiding interest in humanity. In just a few years, he has gathered a massive cult of followers who tempt and, dece and deceive to swell their ranks among the Western kingdoms. The power of creation is nearly at their disposal. So here's like some more audio in here and some more drawings. There's demon gates. There's a pit of anguish dungeon. It's a new dungeon and just all this cool stuff. And so if you're interested in playing Diablo Immortal, which I totally want to do, this is like the kind of stuff that probably gets you wondering about how it's going to be and, and anxious to play. And I think that's probably the best thing a gaming company can do for players is to make them interested in their games. So that's where I'm going to end this show. It's been a lot of stuff we talked about in here, kind of a bit of variety. And uh, I'll close out the show now. 
You have been listening to episode 359 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 are both named Shattered Soulstone and are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.